I was just thinking about what, what we were saying earlier about there not being a model for emotional communication, especially, you know, between fathers and sons, there tends to be a bit more of a, just a different traditional relationship. I don't like to argue, so I say nothing and fume for days. How do I set boundaries without sounding like a jerk? I hate the idea that I might accidentally offend somebody, so sometimes I'd just rather say nothing at all. Welcome to the Language Alchemy Podcast, and thank you for joining me today. This is your host, Alejandra Siroca, a transformative communication teacher and coach devoted to helping you have more peace and more harmony in all your relationships. In the United States and in many countries around the world, we celebrate Father's Day. And I'm thinking a lot about it, more specifically about the relationship between fathers and their children and the language that fathers use with children. Lately, I've been coaching lots of dads, and in our communication sessions, we talk about how they communicate with their kids and how they want to communicate with their kids, especially when their kids are having big feelings or when they're doing things that my clients would rather they didn't do, like throw food when they're eating or hit another kid in school or not go to bed at a certain time. So as I've been thinking about this, I wanted to talk to someone who has the experience of being a dad. So today, I'm going to interview my dear friend, Brian Wood. He came to mind because of the way that I see he communicates with his son, which I describe as an emotionally mindful way. So hello, Brian. Hi, Alejandra. Thank you so much for saying yes to this invitation. Well, I'm honored and humbled at the same time to be here. And I'm also looking forward to to talking about this. It's a great subject. And yeah, something I've thought about a lot in my life. You have. Yeah. And, And tell me more about that, like thinking about the language that fathers have with their kids. Well, in my life, it goes straight to my relationship with my dad. And you know, I had a father who, well, let me put it this way. When he, he didn't talk very much mm-hmm. and to anyone and it got, he got more and more quiet as his life went on. And towards the end of his life, he wrote a memoir on the back cover. He was describing the author and it said, Carrie Wood, a member of the quote, silent generation, which wasn't a generation I was familiar with, but I was like, if there was a generation that he was from, that was the one. Um, But my dad, he, just to give a little background, he was sent away to a Catholic military boarding school when he was four years old. And the impact on his life was enormous. And, you know, we, all of us, I truly believe in this life are doing the best we can with, you know, the conditions that were presented to us. And my father was really an emotional victim of this period of his childhood because he would see his parents on weekends and there was often 
threats by the nuns that he wouldn't get to go home on the weekend if he didn't pass uniform inspection or all kinds of other things. Yeah. And this was so early. And I loved my dad and I know he was doing the best he could with what he had. And, And it's kind of the same as being physically injured in a war or losing a limb. I think there was a part of his emotional life was severely curtailed. And I could see that he mourned the loss of that limb. Mm. You know, he, he, there was multiple times in our life when, when I could tell that he wanted to be more communicative, but it just wasn't there. And so long and short story, I've spent a, a good number of years in therapy and talking a lot about that and, mm. uh, and really coming face to face with my experience with my dad and sort of how it shaped me as a person and and sort of the things that I wished were different in my life because I didn't have the communication with my dad I hoped for. Uh, well, I won't say I hoped for because I didn't know what to hope for as a kid. You know, you're 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 just that's your primary relationship and that's how it is. And then you find yourself, oh gee, I'm like I have, you know, I'm very much at a loss in certain situations. I'm not good on stage or I'm not confident in this way, you know, and then it's not until later sitting in the the therapist's office that you can, it's not until that point that you can, or that I came to like, oh, there's some connection here with how that relationship went. So yeah, that's why communication and why my relationship with my son has been something that I've as deeply as I could about. Yes. And I really appreciate you giving us this background and also how you're describing your father with so much compassion. Good. I'm glad that's coming out because I think it's so easy to focus in on our parents' shortcomings. And as the same way that uh, my child will probably focus on some of mine at some point, And you don't want to lose the complete picture. I don't think there's any person out there really who don't just basically love their children. You know, a lot of wrongs can be done, a lot of very damaging relationships. But I personally believe that there is love there and it's just blocked or dismantled in different ways. Yeah, or or we don't know how to communicate it. and. I also believe that all parents, having been an elementary school teacher in my previous professional incarnation, I do believe firmly that all parents love their children. And it's been traditionally the role of women to be the ones to communicate that love Mm -hmm. out loud, to be the ones to use some emotional support or take care of the emotional well-being of children. And like you said, like your dad, who belonged to this quote unquote silent generation, or in the past, fathers didn't have a lot of a role in communicating with children. In fact, in the work that I do with my clients, most of my clients tell me something similar or that their fathers were kind of harsh or they only talked about activities. What are you doing? What what do you do? What did you do today? but not necessarily having, even though they had an emotional connection to their dad, 
but they didn't hear this emotional or emotionally mindful language, connected language coming from their fathers. I see that you do that with with your son. So so first of all, you know, you talked about going to therapy, but I want to ask you a question so that everybody knows that we can all think about these things and be more mindful as we're doing our best with children. What do you do for a living? Are you a therapist? <laughs> I'm not a therapist. I work in IT for um, UC Berkeley and <laughs> that's my day job. I wouldn't say it defines who I am as a person, but yeah, I don't have any formal training in psychology or the kind of communication that you work in. However, uh, it is a, an interest of mine. And especially from starting years back when I started like digging into my own emotional life, I became found myself like really interested when there was an article about anything about therapy or analysis or you know, any kind of uh, transformative uh, practice, it's fa- it becomes fascinating when you, when you get acquainted with some of it. Yes. And you learn more and more about yourself and why you do what you do, why you think what you think, why you feel what you feel, or mm-hmm. not knowing that you were feeling that or you were thinking that. Yeah, it's fascinating. And you are a dad of Hale, who is now how old? At this moment, eight years old. Yeah, just finished second grade, rising third grader. Wow. Um, yeah. He just finished second grade. It's um, it's unbelievable, really. And you and I have been friends since before Hale was born. That's true. And yeah. And I've heard you over the years share so many stories about how you talk to Hale in a way that I find so emotionally connecting and respectful. You and I were talking about this just a few minutes before we got into this interview, how we don't really have models for that. We we haven't had that. I mean, my own dad also did his best, but he didn't really give me a language of emotions. For him, if I was having a hard time, he would be like, you can do this, uh, you're good, you are above this, kind of like giving me the message of like, don't feel, you don't need to feel. So right. you and I were talking about this, like, we don't, we don't have lots of models about this. So tell us some stories or how, how did you learn to communicate this way? with him? Well, yeah, I think those of us who, who decide to become parents, we all have to find our way in a, in a certain way. And for me, I guess I would trace it both to the stuff we were just talking about and also to you're always like you have that first child and there's often a lot of books purchased about parenting and this and right. that. And and I'll come clean. My wife put a lot of books on my bed nightstand and I did open a couple of them. And I probably read a total of like maybe 12 pages. And I think there was definitely some anxiety about like, oh, my gosh, this kid is going to be born and like, you know, I better get some sleep now. <laughs> but one thing that I can be really thankful about is that my wife did get into a lot of the books and started getting very interested in some different approaches. 
And then we started talking about them and everything that she found inspiring, I found like made perfect sense and felt like definitely the right way um, to go about things or the right, you know, path, the right tools. And a lot of the ideas came out of RIE or RIE parenting, which is kind of an infant model parenting, which is quite related to hand-in-hand parenting. And hand-in-hand is a little more applicable to your kid beyond the toddler stage. And learning about those methods and tools, I think, informed uh, a lot of what I already felt to be where I wanted to go as a parent. And that said, I'm not book learned in this stuff. And I know the things, but it's a lot more been like a a conversation between my wife and myself and and also kind of seeing how the things we were doing landed with Mm -hmm. our child. And it has worked pretty well. Yeah. And so how did you how did you see some of these things landed with your child? Well, yeah, that's interesting. I was just thinking about what what we were saying earlier about there not being a model for emotional communication, especially, you know, between fathers and sons, there tends to be a bit more of a, just a different traditional relationship. I do feel like in the San Francisco Bay Area where I live and in many other parts of the country that have a certain culture that this is shifting a lot. And I can't really speak to everywhere in the country because I don't really know. But I'm sure there's other places where things remain more traditional and people celebrate that and that's what works for their families. And the one thing that's been interesting about this, how this stuff has landed for my son is there has been a clear thread of when I go to, or my wife goes to connect with him emotionally, especially at a tender moment when he's like not doing so well, um, needing support. He, and a lot of kids do this, he won't just take that in. He'll push us away. He's mm-hmm. not comfortable with it. Right. And, and so a lot of, I think a lot of building the communication relationship, it's important to look at those nonverbal flags and realize, okay, I'm getting this back from him. And so what's the most appropriate response I can make next that's kind of in line with how I want to be? So to make this a little more concrete, one of the things that we believe is that emotions, whether they be tantrums, whether they be even like lashing out at parents are okay and shouldn't be curtailed. I mean, everyone should be kept safe, but the child needs to go through a process. And it's much better for them to go through a process and we stop him if he's going to hurt himself or going to hurt us. We'll stop him in the gentlest way we can. And then we'll sit with him and be with him and try to be there to connect with him. And when I see him pushing away because of what I said, like, you know, how does this feel to you? Or I'm like, I'm getting a little too in there emotionally. Then that's my cue to be like, maybe I'm just sitting with him. And maybe I put my hand on his back as he's burying his face in his pillow. And then sometimes he'll writhe away or push my hand away. I'm like, maybe I'm just sitting here. Maybe I'm just in the same room, but I'm not being there as a a presence for him because sometimes communication is or verbal communication is more you know especially than what an eight-year-old's emotional 
world can take at a certain point. Yeah, there are some linguists that say that 85% of our communication is nonverbal. And so what I'm hearing, Brian, it's so beautiful. I'm, I'm really getting like tender inside just picturing you with Hill. And actually, I've seen this, what you are describing. What I love about it is you're constantly observing your child and you're getting curious about what he's communicating non-verbally or verbally. And then it seems to me that what you're doing, even if he as an 80-year-old or maybe when he was five or four or a baby, he was not able to be with his own emotions, you are there being and creating that space for those emotions to just be there. Even if you're not saying anything out loud, like you said, you're making it okay. Yes, you're having these emotions and I am just here with you. I'm not going to shut you down or I'm not going to leave you alone or I'm not going to punish you for having whatever emotion it is that you're having right now. And wow, right. that's, I, that's just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Well, I think the other thing that I often have to remind myself of is I don't need to fix this for him and I can't fix it for him. And every parent wants to, to just help their kid along like, oh, you know, I've seen that. And like, you know, and you just do this or just think that or or, you know, next time you'll get it right and it'll be fine. But and I still slip up on this. So I'll still do a little bit of that. But I try not to do too much of that because what's really nurturing, I believe, is the creating the connection between us and and wherever I can finding like some common ground for him. And one thing that he he really has responded to is when sometimes I'll sort of come right up to that line of like, I see that you're really upset about this experience. And without being instructive, I will try to say to him, you know, I remember this happening when I was a kid or, or I remember getting in trouble for that. And I might tell a little story, but just a little story about me feeling sad or me feeling embarrassed and, and leave it at that. And, and then I started doing that at some point and he will sometimes come to me now. I mean, he has come to me and been like, dad, did, was it like this when you were a kid or did you feel this, you know, because he was like, oh, somebody's had a similar experience or like this, my parent, you know, my parent has some idea where I'm at emotionally. Yeah, that's beautiful. I remember a story that you told us about Hale in kindergarten. I think it was snack time with his buddies and one of his classmates was having a hard time. And Hale was saying something like, can we just let him be with his feelings <laughs> or something like that? Do you remember that? Yeah, I, yeah, I do remember that. We, we get really interesting reports back from the schoolyard, even like this past year. You know, another thing that we have a strong intention about is we really don't do rewards or punishments 
the kid, the kid hasn't been punished in eight years, really. And we're doing okay. I mean, yeah, we don't send him to his room and we really try to steer clear of like, if you do this, then you can do that. Mm -hmm. Or like, if you eat vegetables, you can have your ice cream or, you know, all the, you know, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I won't go into the, the whys on that, that comes out of hand in hand and stuff, but some of those reports we get back from school is like, he really, he likes to lock in on the if thing. And he's, and he was saying, you know, I was telling my, my friends, how, how you guys don't do the if thing with me. Like, and they were all saying, wow, you're, you're so lucky. And, and then the next day, one of his, one of his buddies came back to school and informed him that he was spoiled <laughs> because filling in the gaps on that story was kind of interesting, but to like bring that into a, sort of a more concrete thing, just like a week ago, and this happens daily. I would say my son is not an easy kid. He does not just fall in line. It takes a lot of work with him and a lot of patience and a lot of like resetting my expectations. But we're he's getting older and we're asking for more and more help around the house and cooperation around things. You know, he his job is to unload the utensils from the dishwasher. And you know, I think that was my job too. And and he never wants to do it and he never does it the first time. And and so <laughs> we're having an experience where, you know, he was kind of walking away from repeated requests and you know another thing that i've learned is like you can ask like 12 times but they really only heard you the first time and then they just kind of went deaf you know right. <laughs> and so i'll let him walk away and then i'll take some extra time and i'll i'll um, walk to him i'll be like what's going on you know it's it seems like it's hard for you to help out right now and we need to get some cooperation from you we went around that a little bit and um and another thing I try to do is avoid the parent-kid dynamic of like, you got to do this. I'm not going to do this. You, you know, <laughs> you just get into this push and pull thing. And I was trying to go for where's our common ground here. And so I said to him, well, you know that we both you and me and mama agree on not doing the if thing. And, you know, that's why I'm not saying to you like you have to do the utensils before like you can go play or whatever that right. That is, but I said, I can tell you're having trouble cooperating. Something is preventing you from cooperating. And so another thing that we try with him, the next thing I did was say, well, what do you think is reasonable? Like, you know, if mm -hmm. you were the dad, how much do you think you should be helping out? And what I got back was kind of like a blank stare and silence and kind of like, <sighs> Yeah, a big sigh. And then he sort of like walked away again. But then like, you know, in the next over the course of the next 15 minutes, he came and did it. And that doesn't work every time. But we do we try to give him power. Because in that classic parent-child situation, the parents are wielding all the power they've got and and, and the kid has has nowhere to go. And so the one way the kid can wield power is no, no, I'm not going to do it. And so you know, when we say, okay, you're saying no, you know, you're, you're doing that. Now, why don't you talk about what you think is reasonable? And, and sometimes you get like pretty reasonable answers back from mm -hmm. them. I mean, we, we were asking him like how many nights a week, like his kids should, would get to eat, you know, ice cream. And he was like, well, maybe 
two. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't like every night. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's like too much sugar isn't good for kids. But he still asks her. <laughs> <laughs> I just love hearing what you did there, asking him if you were the dad, what do you think is reasonable? And I can imagine him like looking at you and, you know, with a blank face because kids don't think about it that way. But you are inviting him to consider you. So what you were doing there was teaching him empathy without saying, okay, this is empathy. I'm going to teach you empathy right now. And think about me, but in a very loving, gentle way, you were teaching him empathy to consider your needs, consider what's important for you, consider collaboration for everybody in the family. Yeah. To, yeah. I think that's one place it, it, it could go for him. And, and another place it's just like, oh, like I, I get to have a say in how the family should work and how chores should work. And, you know, and another kind of nonverbal cue I get when I go to those places, either that kind of thing or going to maybe I go like a half a step, you know, too much into like, well, how do you really feel about that? And, you know, at eight years old, his brain is not ready for for right. a certain introspection or that observing ego there's yeah. like he's not there's nowhere near that and so i'll get either like a frowny face kind of mad face but a little confused or i'll get silence and then a subject change and you know and i've kind of come to understand that okay well you know it registered and it's it's kind of like giving a gentle push towards like here's something that you know we'll get to at a certain point and hopefully it's useful and hopefully it's kind of like stretching your muscles and you get and he'll get a little farther and a little farther if we don't and and if we push him too much like he gets injured or he or right. he's gonna he's gonna rebound back and you know stomp off his room or, and so i think it's important to manage your expectations of you know a child yes. and to remember yes. that yeah we have all of these capabilities but they're not going to be able to go right there. And it's not going to be satisfying to us. Like we're not going to get like what happens in the movie where the kid's like, oh, dad, you're such a great dad or whatever, you know. That's right. That, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've never seen and that. <laughs> what happens at the movie is that it, it was a script and it was written by a writer who's an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I have another question for you. Because I see that many parents and also in my communication coaching sessions with the dads I work with, they may offer some comfort when their kid falls down or, you know, they're riding a bike and they fell and they scratched their knee or something, but not necessarily when they're having some, some big feeling about something or a hard time about something that's not physical. You know, mm -hmm. they're maybe like their friend didn't want to play with them or someone didn't invite them to do something or they were in school and and their friend had a piece of, I don't know, an extra piece of candy and gave it to some other kid and not to them. How do you talk to Hill about I think with with that kind of stuff, like when if he'll come home and, and tell a story about something that obviously bothered him, you know, what I try and do is is not make too much comment on 
like, oh, that was mean or that was difficult. Often I'll find, you know, at eight years old, he's kind of relating the story like, you know, the news of the day. And like, it might be like something that sounds like, oh, this was probably pretty hard for him, but he'll kind of just rattle it off unemotionally. Mm. And, and so then I'll say to him something along the lines of like, well, how was that for you? And try to get a little bit more information from him. And if it's more of a situation of upset, then I might go to something more like, you know, I can tell this is hard. I can tell this is painful or frustrating or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. One, one last thing. I wonder if you are willing to share what, when you would put Hill to bed when he was little, Mm-hmm. You had a you had a beautiful practice that you came up with, I think. I don't think you were taught this. This was something you wanted to do with him. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, yeah. And we still do exactly the yeah. same ritual we've been doing since um, he was, oh, one um, or I so. I was hoping you would say that you still do it. <laughs> no, every night. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I think rituals are really important they they're something that you can kind of count on and they they bring normalcy and connection hopefully at the end of a a day when it's time to go to sleep and which requires separating from the parents and and all that and so we yeah we've done a, a couple things but like i think the thing you're thinking about is just based on insight meditation which i've got introduced to quite a while ago in my early thirties or so. And, and so we just do the ritual in Spanish because he grew up with a lot of Spanish childcare. And I spoke my imperfect Spanish to him as an infant. And so we, in Spanish, we would do respiros hondos or deep breaths. And I would just do three deep breaths with him. And then I'd say, una mas, and we do a fourth. And that would be the last one. And we still do exactly the same thing. Wow. And And my hope with that was just to help his nervous system relax a bit and and his body relax. And I believe I started doing that with him before he could talk. And he really quickly (laughs) would do like I would say, you know, let's do the deep breaths. Here's the first one. And I'd go... And he would do it, do it with me. It didn't take very long for him to learn what to do. And he still, he still does it like at eight with me. He'll, he'll do the deep breath after me. Wow. What what a beautiful gift that you are giving him. And I can picture Hale going to college and his first night in college or, you know, going on his first trip without you and Caroline and, and he's doing his deep breaths and then hearing you say (laughs) (laughs) I I hope so my wish for him is just that he's has tools to respond to whatever situations because I sure use them all the time myself (laughs) and I sure need them all the time (laughs) (laughs) yes me too Brian thank you so much is there anything else that you think you would like to share with us, with our listeners that could help dads who love their children, children of all ages, but who don't know how to use words that are emotionally connecting or make an emotionally connecting space 
or a safe space for their kids? Is there anything else that you would like to share? Well, one thing that we haven't touched on so much is the experience of the parent, because it's really hard. We're under a lot of stress with our work days and our emotional lives and all kinds of things. And a lot of times you get hit with exactly the behavior you don't want from your kid when you're not at your best. And so I think a really important part of the equation is just being kind to yourself and figuring out like, okay, you know, can I make space for what's happening right now with my child? And sometimes the answer to that is no, and Mm -hmm. that's okay. And, and if you're lucky enough to have a partner who can back you up, then you hopefully have a, a moment to, to make the skillful decision of like, can you take this? Because I need maybe 12 minutes <laughs> to collect myself or to do or, you know, whatever it needs to be. And th- that goes a long way because I, I believe that that kids need permission to be messy, loud, and annoying, and then to, and to do that, and to even be aggressive towards their parents, and to know they are still loved. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so kids need permission to be kids, (laughs) and to know that they are still loved. Oh, beautifully said, Brian. Thank you so, so much. I said this to you before, but I will say this again. I really appreciate and admire the way you parent Hale. And I hope there are more parents, parents like you, because I know that we're going to have a kind, emotionally connected world with boys who, instead of having toxic masculinity, are going to have a very healthy masculinity that includes their emotional life. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing with Hale, because you're doing it for all of us. Well. I really hope so. I share all those desires with you. And it's been a real pleasure having this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And a special thanks to my clients, Jaber and Yusuf, for the work they are doing to communicate with their kids in an emotionally respectful and connecting way. Until next week, and as we say in Argentina, ciao, ciao. Original music by Gary Lapau. You can find all links in the show notes at languagealchemy.com.